Mundemen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Wicked. How are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. I am here today with Patty. Benny is gone. He's not gone. He is not MIA. He is just away is what he is, which means it is up to Patty and I to tackle this wicked episode, and we are ready to do it. I am ready to dive right into the show facts because we have so much to talk about in regards to wicked. Show me the show facts regarding wicked. Okay, let's go, wicked! Wicked was a 2004 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. The show opened on October 30th, 2003 at the Gershwin Theater and has logged 6,865 performances as of October 10th, 2021. Wicked is currently the fifth longest running show in Broadway history, nestled snugly between Cats at number four, 7,485 performances, and Les Miserables at number six, 6,680 performances. The Book of Wicked was written by Winnie Holtzman and is based on Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West, a 1995 novel by Gregory Maguire. Maguire drew inspiration from L. Frank Baum's series of 14 Oz books published between 1900 and 1920, as well as the classic 1939 Judy Garland film, The Wizard of Oz. The music and lyrics of Wicked were written by Stephen Schwartz. Schwartz happened upon the Wicked novel, while on vacation, and was instantly taken with the material. Now, at the time, McGuire was already prepping a live-action film adaptation with Universal Studios, but Schwartz convinced everyone that a stage musical would be the best way to go. The end result was a show that bore little resemblance to its source. In 2011, McGuire aligned with ABC and Soma Hayek's production company, and I hope I pronounced this right, the name of the company is Ventana Rosa, to produce a non- musical TV miniseries that would be more faithful to his novel. But as of today, nothing has come of this collaboration. I have no idea why anyone would greenlight a non-musical adaptation of Wicked. It would only confuse viewers and most likely result in a legal dispute. At the very least, you could not call it Wicked, right? Calling it Wicked seems out of the question, and if you can't use that title, what would be the point? Anyway, 
Broadway, back to the Broadway show facts. The director of the original Broadway production of Wicked was Joe Mantello. The musical director was Stephen Ornemus. Orchestrations, William David Brown. Choreographer, Wayne Salento. Scenic design, Eugene Lee. Lighting design, Kenneth Posner. Sound design, Tony Miola. Costume design, Susan Hefferty. And as always, I apologize if I mispronounced any of these first or last names. Ah, mia culpa, mia culpa. As far as the original Broadway cast is concerned, we will begin by citing Kristen Chenoweth. Ah, yes, we have talked about Kristen on our On the 20th Century and Steel Pier episodes. You might also remember her amazing work in that Cracker commercial. Oh, because I'm hungry now! Oh, because I'm hungry now! I can't reach the cookie jar. I guess I'll have a cracker. We also have Adina Menzel, of course. Stephanie J. Block played Alphaba throughout Wicked's workshop period and was replaced by Menzel when it opened in San Francisco in 2003. Block got her chance to perform the role when Wicked embarked on its first American tour. So that's good to know. That's a comfort. We have Norbert Leo Butts in the role of Fierro. As with every character in Wicked, Fierro has been played by many people over the years, of course, but the only Broadway replacement I care about is Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block. That's the sort of casting I expect from the Chicago revival, but I'm sure he was a delight. I don't mean to be down on Joey McIntyre. I'm sure he was fine. We, of course, cannot forget Joel Grey, the esteemed Joel Grey. Notable replacements for Grey in the role of the Wizard of Oz include George Hearn of Sunset Boulevard, a doll's and Sweeney Todd, and Ben Vereen of Jelly's Last Jam, Grind, Jesus Christ Superstar, Hair, and future subject, Pippin. My recommendations for The Wizard include Victor Garber and Jason Alexander, while Chris recommended Nathan Lane, David Hyde Pierce, and Andre DeShields. Of course, Mr. Shields played The Wiz in The Wiz, but it's a great pick nonetheless. Ah, yes, Carol Shelley. Let's talk about Carol Shelley. Shelley originated the role of Madame Morrible, but but I would like to highlight one of her replacements, the one and only Carol Kane of Taxi, The Princess Bride, Adam's Family Values, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Kane has stated she would love to appear in the movie version of Wicked, and I believe her wish should be granted. Sign her today. Ah, but that's not all. Let's cite all of the other people from this original Broadway cast. We have Michelle Federer, Broadway debut for Michelle, congratulations. Christopher Fitzgerald, William Humans. Iona Alfonso, Broadway debut, congratulations, Iona. Ben Cameron, Christy Cates, Broadway debut, congratulations. Melissa Bell Chait, Marcus Choi, Christopher Cusick, Katie Deach, Melissa Fawn, Broadway debut, congratulations. Rhett G. George, Manuel Herrera, Keisha Howard, L.J. Jellison, Sean McCourt, Corrine McFadden, Jan Newberger, Walter Winston O'Neill, Andrew Palermo, Andy Pellick, Michael Seelbach, Lorna Ventura, and finally last but not least, Derek Williams. Let's talk about Tony Nods. All right, Wicked won the Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical, which went to Adina Menzel, as well as Best Scene design, Eugene Lee, and Best Costume Design, Susan Helferty. It was additionally nominated for the following Tony Awards. Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Winnie Holtzman. Best Original Score, Stephen Schwartz. Best Actress in a Musical, Kristen Chenoweth. Best Lighting Design, Kenneth Posner. Best Choreography, Wayne Salento. And Best Orchestrations, William David Braun. So that's ten Tony nominations in total, three awards at the end of the evening. 
let's actually circle back to the movie musical version of Wicked, which has been stuck in development hell, uh, hell, for nearly two decades now. John M. Chu of Crazy Rich Asians and In the Heights fame, I believe he also directed G.I. Joe Retaliation, but we won't get into that. So he was recently announced as the film's latest director, but I'll believe it when my gay ass is actually in a movie theater. Of course, no one believed Guns N' Roses would ever release Chinese Democracy, and that wound up happening eventually. No one liked Chinese Democracy, true, fair, because everyone was sick of hearing about it, but it was released, is my point. They got it done. Why am I pretending as if I am a Guns N' Roses fan or expert? Let's move on. Stephen Daldry was attached to Wicked, the movie, for years, but when you take a look at his filmography, the titles do not exactly inspire confidence. Billy Elliot is one thing, I suppose, but the hours? Extremely loud and incredibly close? Wicked is a candy-colored steampunk musical about witches, not a closed-door drama set on a foggy Sunday in New York City. No offense, Mr. Daldry. Can you imagine a Wicked movie under the direction of Denise Villeneuve? I don't know if I'm saying that name right. I want to see his vision of the Emerald City because God knows it would be a feast for the eyes. He's already worked with Zendaya, who would be a solid choice for Elphaba. I mean, I assume she would be. I assume Zendaya has the necessary range? I don't know. Come to think of it, there is no way Meryl Streep won't be cast as Madame Morrible. I hate to break it to Carol Kane, but that feels very true in my gut. She is going to be in that movie one way or another. I think we can say that. And I want a Wicked movie. Wicked the movie. Yes, please, I do. Even if it will never beat what is in my head. My imagination is a cinematic landscape no director can top. Best of luck, though. I do wish you all of the luck. You have my support. Go, go, try. Try to beat my imagination. All right, you know what time it is. It's time to talk about the plot of this week's subject. Let's go. Alphaba, a.k.a. the Wicked Witch of the West, is dead. The people of Oz celebrate her demise, but Glinda the Good Witch advises them to withhold their judgment. Alphaba may have been an enemy of the state, but few know of her story, and so Glinda begins to fill in the gaps. Many years ago, a traveling salesman had an affair with a married woman. The encounter involved a magical and intoxicating elixir, aka he got the married woman drunk, and when the woman gave birth nine months later, the baby's skin was an unnatural green. The woman's husband shunned the newborn. Ah, take it away. Take it away! so he could focus on his own daughter, Nessa Rose, a.k.a. Nessa. She goes by Nessa. We flash forward in time. The green child, Alphaba, is now a young woman. She is determined to care for Nessa as they begin their tenure at Shiz University. They may not be close, but Nessa is the closest thing Alphaba has to a friend. Their father presents Nessa with a pair of bejeweled shoes before making his way back to Munchkinland. Side note one, Nessa is physically disabled and uses a wheelchair. Side note two, their father is the governor of Munchkinland. That comes up. Side note three, I cannot for the life of me remember what happened to their mother. Did she die while giving birth to Alphaba? Is there even a line in the book about this? I've seen the show. I do not remember. If you remember, let me know. Alphaba and Nessa meet Madame Morrible, the esteemed headmistress at Shiz. 
Morrible takes a liking to Nessa, and as they proceed to leave Elphaba behind, our heroine calls out for her sister while clutching the air with her hands. No! This causes Nessa's wheelchair to move in reverse, an astonishing act of magic that leaves everyone speechless. Morrible changes her tune. Elphaba will become a student of sorcery, and if she does well, it could result in a job with the one and only Wizard of Oz. Alphaba can hardly believe her luck. Working with the wizard would be no less than a dream come true. Alphaba is introduced to her roommate, the equally bubbly and superficial Galinda. These gals have nothing in common. Nada, zip, all. They are the veritable odd couple of Oz, polar opposites who become instant rivals. But Alphaba is not entirely alone at Shiz. She finds kinship in Dr. Dillamond, a professor of history who is also a goat. Dillamond is the only non-human on staff and fears there is a movement to quite literally silence every animal in Oz. Elphaba vows to take her professor's concerns to the wizard should she ever actually meet him. A handsome new student named Fierro, hello, arrives at Shiz and immediately plans a party for later that night. Ah! We shall all meet at the Oz Dust Ballroom and get fucked up! Fierro is a prince of the Winky people who has been kicked out of several schools, but why worry about that when there's fun to be had, huh? Bach, a shy munchkin boy, asks Galinda to save a dance for him. Galinda encourages Bach to invite Nessa instead. He agrees, if only out of affection for Galinda. This allows her to make a date with Fierro. Side note. I remembered Bach directly asking Galinda to go to the party with him, which puts her in a corner and inspires the Nessa diversion. And I don't mean to be an Adam Carolla about this, but for God's sake, Galinda, you couldn't save one dance for Bach. Pick an up-tempo song. Bach is gay. Nothing will come from a single dance. He has diva worship. That's all it is. Galinda gives Elphaba a pointy black hat and tells her to wear it to the party, claiming it would be a sharp fashion statement. Elphaba is touched by the gift. She returns the favor by asking Madame Morrible to admit Galinda into their sorcery class. Galinda is taken aback upon receiving the news, along with her very own wand. The hat was meant as a joke, a petty bit of cruelty Galinda regrets when her roommate is mocked by everyone at the party. Elphaba dances by herself and is joined by Galinda, a rare moment of solidarity that crystallizes their friendship. Meanwhile, Bach tries to be honest with Nessa about why he invited her to the party in the first place. She cuts him off. It's because I'm in this chair and you felt sorry for me. Well, isn't that right, she says? Bach panics and lies, insisting that he finds her beautiful. Nessa is overjoyed. Upon returning to their room, Galinda gives Elphaba a fabulous makeover. They arrive at history class the next day, only to discover Dr. Dillamont has been dismissed by Madame Morrible. Elphaba objects but no one stands with her. Morrible takes control of the class and tortures a lion cub with a new type of cage, a magical, destructive cage. Alphaba unleashes a surge of magic, Carrie-style, Stephen King Carrie-style, and rescues the cub with help from Fierro. As he goes forth to release the animal into the wild, Alphaba laments her sorry lot in life. Huh? She cares for Fierro, but he will never see her as a girl worth pursuing. I don't know about that. 
Madame Morrible announces that the wizard has agreed to meet with Alphaba. While saying goodbye at the train station, Galinda reveals she has changed her name to Glinda as a show of support for Dr. Dillamond. Fierro, Nessa, and Alphaba are understandably confused by this decision, but they do their best to support their friend. She's trying. Alphaba invites Glinda to join her, and they spend the day exploring the Emerald City. Upon arriving at the wizard's palace, Alphaba begs him to intervene on behalf of the persecuted animals. The wizard agrees to do what he can, but only if Alphaba uses her magic to help him. Madame Morrible steps out of the shadows. She has been appointed the wizard's press secretary, and it will be her job to introduce Alphaba to the people. Our heroine is handed a spellbook known as the Grimmery, and told to perform a levitation spell on Chistery, the wizard's monkey servant. The spell goes awry, and Chistery winds up growing a pair of wings. Ah! Nevertheless, the wizard is thrilled by Alphaba's potential. With a witch by his side, he will finally be able to tame the animals of Oz. Alphaba is shocked. The wizard is nothing more than a fascist masquerading as a saintly old man. She flees the palace and begs Glinda to help her expose the truth. Glinda crumbles in the face of this offer. She believes in Alphaba's cause, but cannot bring herself to rebel. The friends part on tense yet affectionate terms. And while Glinda distracts the guards, Alphaba manages to fly away on a broom. Actually, I don't think that's right. I don't think Glinda distracts the guards. She just gets in their way by accident. Anyway, Alphaba escapes. Our heroine is now a fugitive from the law, and all of Oz will soon come to know her as Wicked! Act 2. Alphaba's whereabouts are unknown. Glinda, now a member of the wizard's administration, has been sold to the public as Glinda the Good, the only witch capable of defending Oz from its enemies. Glinda is also engaged to Fierro, who has been appointed captain of the wizard's guard. Despite their squeaky clean public image, Fierro has come to resent Glinda's hunger for acceptance. Glinda, for her part, regrets her selfish actions. Inwardly, secretly, she does not express this to anyone. Alphaba journeys to Munchkinland, where Nessa has replaced their father as governor. I believe their father is dead at this point. Nessa's tyrannical rule, she is a dictator. Her tyrannical rule has made it impossible for Bach to leave her. It is illegal to leave me, Bach. And when Alphaba begs for help, she refuses. No, thanks. Get out of here. In a bid to win Nessa's favor, Alphaba enchants her sister's shoes so she may walk for the first time. For one fleeting moment, Nessa is happy. Bach will have to love her now. She can walk. Bach is unmoved. He wants nothing more than to tell Glinda how he feels about her, how he has always felt about her, but Nessa will never let that happen. No way. She steals the Grimmery and casts a love spell on Bach, but she fucks it up, and that causes his heart to shrink. It's a reverse Grinch. Alphaba casts her own spell to try and fix the situation, and that transforms Bach into a man made entirely of tin. Ah, he's a tin man with a tiny heart. Bach and Nessa curse our heroine. Ah, you fucked it all up. Ah, you witch. And Alphaba runs for her life. 
Alphaba sneaks into the wizard's palace in order to free Chistery and the other monkeys. The wizard appears to offer a final proposition. If Alphaba joins him, he will salvage her reputation. You'll be a hero. The gambit nearly pays off, but when Alphaba spies a speechless Dr. Dillamond, she promises to avenge every animal in Oz. Fierro helps Alphaba pull off yet another escape, which leaves Glinda feeling disillusioned. It is clear to her now that Fierro never loved her at all. She presents a new plan of action to Madame Morrible and the wizard. Why not use Nessa to lure Alphaba into a trap? Morrible takes a liking to the idea and conjures a tornado to get the ball rolling. Fierro and Alphaba regroup in the woods where they confess their love for one another. Alphaba has a frightening vision of Nessa, who is in danger. What a convenient plot device. I have a vision. I have to go. It's, it's weak writing. I, I, I'm not afraid to admit it. Fierro informs her that if she ever needs a place to hide, she can always stay at his family's castle, Kiyamako. Ah, the beautiful Kiyamako. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, I want to take you to Bermuda, Bahama. Come on, pretty mama. Key Largo, Montego. Baby, why don't we go Jamaica off the Florida Keys? There's a place called Kiyamoko. Okay, it was worth it. It was worth it. Shut up. Elphabo returns to Munchkinland to find Nessa has been crushed by a house. Glinda has been on the scene for some time, having given Nessa's shoes to a child named Dorothy before sending her on a trip down the yellow brick road. Alphaba is beside herself. How could Glinda do this to her? How could she give Nessa's shoes to her own killer? Glinda is equally spiteful. How could Alphaba go and steal her man? Fierro jumps into the fray and takes Glinda hostage so Alphaba can bolt. The guards descend upon their former captain and drag him into a cornfield. Uh-oh. Alphaba casts a series of spells in order to save Fierro's life, but nothing proves effective. As she watches her lover being torn apart from afar, Alphaba concludes that nothing, nothing she does will make the world a better place. Glinda has a momentous change of heart upon learning Madame Morrible always meant for Nessa to die. Oh, I didn't mean for a murder to occur. She journeys to Kiyamoko to warn Alphaba, who has kidnapped Dorothy in an attempt to recover Nessa's shoes. While reviewing their increasingly limited options, Glinda and Alphaba receive word of Fierro's death, R.I.P., and tearfully forgive each other for all that has come to pass. Dorothy throws a bucket of water at Alphaba, which causes her to melt. All that remains is her black hat and a vial of green elixir that once belonged to her mother. Knowing all too well of her friend's past, Glinda confronts the wizard and identifies him as Alphaba's biological father. It is because of the wizard that Alphaba was born green, and for his many crimes, he will be forever banished from the land of Oz, so says Glinda. Furthermore, Madame Morrible will spend the rest of her days in prison. One could argue that both the wizard and Morrible deserve jail time, but who am I to question Glinda the Good? Fierro, as it turns out, is not dead, having been turned into a scarecrow by Alphaba's magic. <laughs> 
He kneels at the precise spot where our heroine melted and knocks on a trap door? There's a door in the floor? Huh, hello? Alphaba leaps from her hiding place. I was hiding the whole time. And our lovers travel toward the horizon, knowing they may never have a chance to explain what has happened to Glinda. We now find ourselves where we started, with our narrator concluding her story before the Ozian crowd. Glinda promises to live up to her title as the Good Witch of Oz, and though she is met with thunderous applause, it does little to comfort her broken heart. That's the end of the plot. This goes without saying, but I will say it. Nessa, Nessa Rose needs a page one rewrite, as this is truly abysmal, abominable. This is a bad example of representation for the physically disabled, yes? She's a love-starved, vengeful maniac who freaks the fuck out in the face of every setback, big or small. Fun! That's a fun part for someone to play. Oh boy. No, uh, no, it's not, is the point. That's my point. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 2003 original Broadway cast album of Wicked, specifically the fifth anniversary edition of said album. My original exposure to the Wicked cast album was in the backseat of a car during my freshman year of college. What is this feeling was blasting through the speakers and it hooked me instantly. I never looked back is what I did. Not do. <laughs> and no, I was not hooking up with anyone in the back seat. Are you kidding me? My sex life was non-existent in college and the idea of fooling around to dear old shiz makes me practically physically ill. I purchased this edition, the fifth anniversary edition, because I discovered to my horror that the copy I already had was missing several tracks. How embarrassing. I was filled with shame. There is also a 15th anniversary edition of this album, but it offers less in the way of bonus material, and all of those performances that you can find on the 15th anniversary edition were already featured in the NBC Halloween special, so I I figured it wasn't worth the extra money. Nah. I watched the 2004 Tony Awards performance of Defying Gravity. We are speeding up the tempo at the top of this performance, are we not? I'm not sure what's going on. I understand if we need to come in under a certain time, and it's not like Menzel or Chenoweth have a problem with keeping pace. It's all well and good. It's smooth. But I am a wicked purist, and I do long for the old ways. It's true. I'll tell you this much, nothing beats that final image of Elphaba soaring above the citizens of Oz, my god, the lighting, the fog, that ink-black cape expanding into infinity, the sharp, distinct contrasts, what a wonderous bit of whiz-bangery. Speaking of the Halloween special, I watched a very wicked Halloween, celebrating 15 years on Broadway. This was an NBC program that aired on October 29th, 2018. Did I tear up several times while watching this? Yes, yes, I did. The crowd is super white, that's true, but it's also super gay, and I am glad these young queer people are having the time of their lives. Everyone in the crowd is gay, or queer, or otherwise 
otherwise, that's what I have to say. Unite under the banner of Oz. Yes, yes, my children. Highlights from this Halloween special include a performance of As Long As You're Mine by Ladisi and Adam Lambert. So queer, so queer. I loved it. Lambert is dressed like a pirate from a goth PC video game. And Ladisi, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, she is dressed like Tina Turner in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, an alternate design for that character, Master Blaster. What is this feeling? Okay, so Pentatonix performs What Is This Feeling? And when I take this performance and I pair it with the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Kennedy Honors Center performance that they did with Aaron Tveit, I... <laughs> Here's what I have to say. I think I'm over Pentatonix. It seems like something that we have moved past, or you would think that we would have moved past it, but I think now it's time to shut the book on Pentatonix. I don't dislike them. I don't hate them. I am nowhere near such extreme emotions. I just, I'm not interested. No, thank you. No, thank you. Ariana Grande, though, singing The Wizard and I, she is... Holy shit, completely fantastic. What a performance. It is so ingratiating and charming. She clearly loves the fact that she is involved with this program. They show a photo of her at nine years old, standing next to Chenoweth backstage at Wicked. She has been wanting to do this her entire fucking life, and now she is making that dream come true. It is a wonderful, wondiferous, I'll use that word again, performance. You should find it if you have not seen it. Find it on YouTube. And finally, I want to highlight the Chenoweth and Men Zell performance of For Good. Now, if you're a Patreon subscriber, if you donate via Patreon, you would have already heard my program, I should say my bonus episode, regarding Broadway's Back. Now, Chenoweth and Menzel sing For Good as part of the Broadway's Back program. I'm just going to keep using that word because it seems fun. And at the time, I was so cranky and I thought, uh, these women seem like they don't get along. Why won't we release them from this song? Just let them move on beyond this wicked material. They have sung this a million times, and it seemed like there was a weird dynamic and energy. Kristen Chenoweth seemed like she was going to bawl any second. But then I watched this Halloween special from years before, years before, not that many years, just 2018. It wasn't that long ago. But Chenoweth gets choked up as she introduces the song, and I realized I was being a cynical jerk. I do think these women get along. I do think they are close. They may not be the bestest of buddies or whatever, but Chenoweth talks about how the show is in their DNA, and that's clearly true. I feel like this is a part of them, for better or for worse, and when they sing for good as part of the Halloween special, there is a very solid connection, and they do seem to really be getting along. I hope that is the case. I hope that they're the best of friends. I would love it if they go out and get drinks, and go to dinner, and see shows. Oh, what a wonderful pairing that would be. Of course, if they don't, that's fine too. You can be professionals. Professionals. And I like the fact that Chenoweth gets so choked up. It's very, oh, I'll use it again. Ingratiating. Oh, I feel like I know her more when she gets all teary-eyed. I like that version of Chenoweth. I don't like her appearing in bad Netflix romantic comedies as a drunken, horny aunt. That's not really the mode I'm looking for when it comes to Chenoweth. Let her be a human being, for fuck's sake. Actually, while I'm talking about her, she is featured on this new album that I just bought. It is a concept album for a new Steve, no, Burt Bacharach score. Burt Bacharach 
Bacharach has written a new musical score. He's developing this for the stage, and I forget what it's called. I'm gonna look it up real quick. Yes, right, of course. Okay, now I have confirmed it. The show is called Some Lovers. Anyway, Kristen Chenoweth appears on the concept album for that show, and I don't know the name of her song offhand. I don't have time to look it up. We have to keep moving. But she sings this melancholy, lovelorn ballad, and it is so rare for us to hear her in that mode that I just, I completely forgot how contained she can be and how much quivering energy she can generate within a tightly packed space. This character that she is playing in this show, I have no idea what the show is about, but it's clear that this character has been reduced to this myopic depression and despair, and she is trying to work through her heartbroken state. And it, I have not heard her in that mode really since Wicked, and it is just great to hear her in that mode. That's not true. She gets to play in that playground for that Promises Promises revival that we did. So I, I'm not saying she never gets to do it. I am just here to say that she does not need to be playing a horny, drunk aunt in bad Netflix romantic comedies. We can do better for Kristen, and we should. Ah. And finally, I watched Wicked in Concert, a PBS program that aired on August 29th of this year, 2021. I mean, thank God for YouTube. I was able to watch all of the performances from this concert via YouTube, and I tried. I tried to watch this in a legitimate format. I did, but the PBS site did everything it could, and it was successful. It did everything it could to ensure I would not watch this on the PBS site. I'm pretty sure you have to pledge a full year of donations. That's $60 in order to access any of their streaming material. And no thanks. I got tricked into not tricked. I'm fine with giving them a $5 pledge. I thought that if I gave a single donation, I would be able to watch this one single video. But I guess that is not true because they took my money and then they said, no, you still can't watch it. Give us $60. And I said, no. And I found all the performances on YouTube. Here are some highlights. We have Isaac Cole Powell singing Dancing Through Life. Isaac Powell, of course, a member of the Cream Pie Cutie Club. And holy shit, he is so fucking hot. He is so dorky. He's wearing drop crotch, basically tailored MC hammer pants with a bright lime green polo. It is a bad outfit, but it looks good on him. He's a big fucking dork, and he's flirting with all of the old guys in the orchestra. And it is fucking hot. Feed my face, Isaac. Feed my face is what I say to you. Dancing through life, skimming the surface, gliding where turf is smooth. Life's more painless for the brainless. Why think too hard when it's so soothing? Dancing through life, no need to tough it when you can slough it off as I do. Nothing matters, but knowing nothing matters. It's just life. So keep dancing through Dancing through life Swaying and sweeping And always keeping cool Life is fraughtless When you're thoughtless Those who don't try Never look foolish Dancing through life Mindless and careless Make sure you're awareless Trouble is rife Woes are free We have 
Alex Newell delivering a rock-solid performance of popular. Alex Newell is also delivering karate chops. Hiya! Hua! Hiya! It is fantastic. It is right out of the Bartok the Bat playbook. I applaud Alex Newell. It's a great performance. Don't be offended by the freak analysis. Think of it as personality dialysis. The bat has chosen to become a sister and advisor. There's nobody wiser. Not when it comes to popular. I know about popular and with an assist from me to be who you'll be instead of dreary who you were or the something that can stop you from becoming popular. Lar. have Amber Riley delivering Defying Gravity. Amber Riley deserves everything. She has long since graduated from the hell that is Glee, and she deserves a career that goes on for a million fucking years. Yes, thank you Amber Riley for delivering such a fantastic performance. We have, thank goodness, Cynthia Erivo sings this number, and I have to say this, of course, the voice. The voice is perfect. The voice is perfect. The pose, the concentration, the stillness, Oh, you can do so much with stillness. Cynthia knows this. She's the star of Needle in a Time Stack with Leslie Odom Jr. and Orlando Bloom. I don't know how that's gonna go, but here's what I wanna talk about when it comes to Cynthia Erivo. Her nails, holy crap. I've never seen nails that long on a lady. And I was fascinated. I loved them. Those nails, oh, oh, oh. They could pluck berries from a tree is what they could. Just reach up and stab those berries with those nails is what you could do. We have Mario Cantone singing Wonderful. Now you might think, what's that all about? Well, it's great because he has a great voice, but here's what's really wild about that performance. He is being accompanied by an enormous music box theater, circus tent, Ringling Brothers pipe organ. Do, 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 do. I was merely blown here by the winds of chance. I never saw myself as a Solomon or a Socrates. I knew who I was, one of your dime a dozen mediocrities. Then suddenly I'm here, respected, worshipped even. Just because the folks in Oz needed someone to believe in. Does it surprise you? I got hooked and all too soon. What can I say? I got carried away and not just by balloons. It 
it sounds really wild. It takes a minute or two to get used to it, but when you get into it, when you shift gears, you find yourself loving it. I loved it at least. And finally, we have Jennifer Nettles singing a version of No Good Deed. Let his flesh not be torn, let his blood leave no stain. Though they beat him, let him feel no pain. Let his bones never break, and however they try to destroy him, let him never going on here. I don't know if Jennifer Nettles is trying to channel Celine Dion on some level, but we have, we have messed with the DNA of this song a little bit too much. The arrangement is borderline unrecognizable to a certain extent, and I did not like it. I wrote down wacko, wacko arrangement. It's kooky. It's a cuckoo bird arrangement. Surprisingly, no one covers for good for this PBS concert. Wherefore art thou for good? What happened? Oh, before we move on, I want to show you, I want to play for you, I should say, a clip of Rita Moreno, who plays Madame Morrible for the purposes of this PBS concert. Oh, she is delightful. Patty, can we play that here? Citizens of Oz, there is an enemy who must be found and captured. Believe nothing she says. She, she is evil. Her green skin is but an outward manifestorium of her twisted nature, this distortion, this repulsion, this wicked witch. Thank you very much, Patty. It is now time to talk about the Stephen Schwartz score for Wicked, and we shall begin with No One Mourns the Wicked. Let's go. And of course, from the moment she was born, she was, well, different. It's coming. Now? Baby's coming. And how? I see a nose. I see a curl. It's a
Schwartz serves up a hearty supply of hummable tunes as we navigate his score, but nothing stays with me like No One Mourns the Wicked. I have been singing this number to myself all week because it is energizing, fortifying, electrifying why it could be grease lightning. But seriously, folks, could you just calm down? Seriously, let's be serious for a second. I am down for anything after this opening. We are undeniably off to the races, and no one is ever gonna bring us down, baby, yeah! A couple of stray observations for you. I would like to see Dorothy in the film version of this sequence. Her magical exit from the Land of Oz should occur after Glinda appears and before the crowd is worked into a bitter frenzy. Yes, thank you for everything, Dorothy, sweet child. Yes, thank you, girl boss. Now, if you don't mind, we have a few choice words for the witch you killed. We need to vent non-child-friendly language. I am all about the angry Aussian mob, as they remind me of the manic Parisians found in the Scarlet Pimpernel. The woman who bellows, no one cries, they won't return, is playing in the exact same lane as the Pimpernel actress, who screams, women of Paris, come gather your bloody bouquets. Those two should get together for coffee and compare notes. I would like to take a second, or 90, to talk about my experience seeing Wicked in Chicago. This was a thousand years ago. I saw it at the Nederlander Theater, which was known at the time as the Oriental. That's a fun name. Oh, we should have kept that name, said someone, probably. I miss when it was called the Oriental. You're the only one. Shut up. So I bought a Ticketmaster package, and I did not understand that the package I was buying was very expensive, much more expensive, than I thought it would be, but it came with a few VIP perks. Ooh, very important person. Moi? Me? Oh, all right, if you say so, Ticketmaster. So what are the perks? What do you get as a VIP attendee of Wicked? Well, you get to go to a special little lobby. It's over here. Follow the signs. Go down this secret passageway. Here is a little lobby where we will serve you questionable hors d'oeuvres, finger foods, and hey, who's that behind the bar? A cheerful Nana Grandma bartender who gives you all the red wine you want. And I started drinking before the show. I got drunk before the show. And I spilled wine on myself before the show. I was a sloppy mess. And I started crying during No One Mourns the Wicked two minutes into the fucking number. I was crying on the first and goodness knows the wicked. <laughs> it's about friendship. <laughs> I have wine on myself. I was a mess. But I swear someday there'll be a celebration throughout ours that's all to do.
Broadly, because God knows any commentary within this week's subject is itself super broad, Alphaba is a person of other status. She does not conform to cis, white, male, hetero, and or neurotypical standards. Like Alphaba, those who are relegated to the status of other may find no solace in family or friends. They may want to change themselves or believe that success, as defined by those in power, will be coupled with the love they crave. If I am successful, people will love me. Eh? When Alphaba discovers she is simply being exploited by people who will never view her as fully human, she revolts and is immediately branded as a heretic. We thought you were one of the good ones. We gave you a scholarship, etc. The problem, of course, is not Alphaba, but the various wizards who surround her. We have all met and tried to impress a wizard at one time. Wizards are the people we pursue because we do not love or trust or believe in ourselves yet. We need, we think, we need their blessing and patronage so that we may rise above our filthy no-good selves. But no mentor can save you, even on their best day, and many will take advantage of your thirst, use it to advance their agenda, or plump up their ego. Based on what we have learned as of late, Alice Ripley would appear to be a prime example of a wizard. She fostered a cult of personality by bringing young, impressionable people under her wing, and that is a big red flag. If I can say anything to the younger listeners of this particular podcast, it would be this. Beware of those who have zero regard for your boundaries and take far more than they ever give. Wizards are bad people, yo. And that's the lesson from me, the musical man. Alphaba is, of course, not the only person of other status in Wicked. Nessa is battling with her own desire for acceptance and normalcy, quote-unquote, but the show has no earthly idea what to do with Nessa, and the resulting arc for the character is a train wreck. Again, we need a page one rewrite for Nessa. Go back to the fucking drawing board with that character. But, as for the wizard and I, well, that is a hell of an I want number that not me out with the brute power of a professional boxer. Bam! I am all about the lyrical ironies within this song, from Elphaba's hazy vision of a celebration that's all about her, to that subtle-as-a-jet-engine reference to melting. Nuts to those who would say those moments are too clever by half. Ah, two on the nose? No such thing! As a lifelong Oz nerd, I cannot get enough of this stuff. The Wizard and I was written specifically for Adina Menzel while prepping for the 2003 San Francisco tryout. The song it replaced, Making Good, can be found on the fifth anniversary edition of the cast album. Would you like to hear a bit of Making Good? Of course you would. Take it away, Stephanie J. Block. That hatchet face hack who is pointing at me with a sneer, I don't see her. Those giggling girls with the whispers they want me to hear, I don't hear them. The boy with the spitball behind me, if I so 
suddenly turn. Oh, look, he's lost his nerve. Right now, I'm their prey. Right now, I'm their quarry. But there'll come a day they all will be sorry. And sorry will be all that they deserve. this track as a reference, but holy cow, this does not compare to the heights achieved by the wizard and I. No siree bub. personal trivia regarding me, the musical man, I performed What Is This Feeling alongside two other fellas as part of the New Voices evening at my college. I refer to the evening as New Voices because I have no idea what it was actually called. Were we any good? Uh, probably not, but we were out for laughs, and I would like to think we earned more than a few genuine laughs. I played Glinda as a queenie snit, 
and the guy who played Alphaba took the butch route. That was our distinction. Two different men of the LGBT spectrum. Ah, effeminate butch. Ooh, what a distinction. The Wicked Ensemble was represented by the third member of our trio, who wore a pair of ludicrously high-cut shorts for the occasion. All in all, I think we could say that it was a high-class affair, a real peon in praise of the theatrical gods. Get the fuck out of the way, Brecht. Check off, fuck off. This is theater. So, what's the most swankified place in town? That would be the Ozdust Ballroom. Sounds perfect! Let's go down to the Ozdust Ballroom. We'll meet there later tonight. We can dance till it lights. Find the prettiest girl. Give her a whirl. Right on down to the Ozdust Ballroom. Come on, follow me. I hope you'll save at least one dance for me. I'll be right there waiting all night. Oh, that's so kind. But you know what would be even kinder? Dancing Through Life is a damn sight to behold. A cracker of a sequence that leaves me no less than giddy. Fierro can and should sit on my face. Give me your full weight, Fierro, for I do not need to breathe. Now, are there a few lyrical speed bumps to be identified within Wicked? Yes, indeed there are, and Dancing Through Life contains one of them. I'm sorry, Nessa, but the line, Finally for this one night, I'm about to have a fun night. That is in dire need of a tune-up. Help a girl out, Stephen Schwartz. I believe in your ability to find a rhyme for night. Just as The Wizard and I replaced Making Good on the road to Broadway, Dancing Through Life replaced Which Way's the Party? Let's nibble on a sample of that. The trouble with schools is they always try to teach the wrong lesson. Believe me, I've been kicked out of enough of them to know. They want you to think harder, look deeper, and cram all that stress in. But I say stop studying strife and learn to live the unexamined life. Which way is the party? Which way's the next keg of Winky beer? Let's have too much to handle. Stir up a scandal, swing from a chandelier. Which way is the party? By now I hope it's becoming clear. Which way is the party? The party is here. So, what's the most swankified place in town? Uh, that would be the Ozdust Ballroom. Let's go down to the Ozdust Ballroom. We'll meet there later tonight. We can dance till it's light. Leave the books on their shelves. Take our bad shelves. Ride on down to the Ozdust Ballroom. We'll wear our fanciest studs. And I'll buy the 
first round of subs. That's my suggestion to answer the question. Which way is a party? Believe it or not, this goes on for a mind-boggling 11 and a half minutes. 11 and a half minutes, my god. Allow me to cleanse the palate with a bonus track from the 5th anniversary edition of the cast album. This is Jinsei Wo Orai Akase, as performed by Lee Tao and the Shiki Theater cast of Wicked. And I know I mangled the title of that song, I do apologize. Patty, play that clip, please! この Thank you very much, Patty. I do enjoy all the tracks from the Shiki Company that are on this fifth anniversary edition of the album. They are so much fun. We will hear another, another track from the Shiki Company here in just a moment. But first, we have to play a bit of popular. Whenever I see someone less fortunate than I And let's face it, who isn't less fortunate than I My tender heart tends to start to bleed And when someone needs a makeover, I simply have to take over I know, I know exactly what they need And even in your case Though it's the toughest case I've yet to face Don't worry, I'm determined to succeed Follow my lead And yes, indeed, you will be popular You're gonna be popular I'll teach you the proper poise when you talk to boys Little ways to flirt and flounce I'll show you what shoes to wear, how to fix your hair Everything that really counts to be popular I'll help you be popular You'll hang with the right cohorts You'll be good at sports Know the slang you've got to know So let's start, cause you've got an awfully long way Personality dialysis Now that I've chosen to become a policist Or an advisor There's nobody wiser Not when it comes to popular I know about popular And with an assist from me To be who you'll be Instead of dreary who you were Well, are There's nothing that can stop you From becoming popular Lar Lar, la, 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 la. 
gonna make you popular. The timing, the precision, the confidence. We stand, Kristen Chenoweth. Yes, yes, but I want to be popular now. <laughs> I can't reach the popularity. I guess I'll have a cracker. <laughs> now let's hear from the fifth anniversary edition of the cast album. This is Miyuki Numao's rendition of Popular. To hear a bit of I'm not that girl, I hope you have your tissues handy. I'm not that girl, let's do it!
I mean, if y'all don't think this was my anthem in college, you are kidding yourselves. Oh my god, don't wish, don't start wishing only wounds the heart. I am in my dorm room. <laughs> the cafeteria has closed for the night. No more food for you, Jonathan. Little dude was upset. He was so sad all the time. Little dude wanted dick is what he wanted, but he wasn't getting it. That was the problem. I really like this song. It is very, 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 very sad. Very sad. And that's why I like it. What an observation. You come here for the really searing commentary, right? The really in-depth theatrical analysis. It's really, really sad, and I really, really like it, babe. Oh, oh, oh. Another personal story from the canon of the musical man. I performed one short day. That's the song you just heard. I performed that song as part of my college's musical theater tour troupe. I don't know if I've talked about this. I was part of the musical theater tour troupe for one year during my time in college, and we would go to middle schools, elementary schools, high schools, retirement homes, and we would sing various selections from the musical theater canon. And One Short Day was one of the examples from our repertoire. And I distinctly remember going to a library in an elementary school where the children gathered to watch us perform. And there was a a fucking grumpy kid sitting in the fucking front row. And he was pissed off. He did not want to be there. He had his legs crossed and his arms crossed. He was in the front row. And he glared at us the entire time. And when our director said that this song was inspired by the Wizard of Oz. I believe this grumpy kid said something along the lines of, Oh, give me a break. (laughs) I mean, I have to stand. What a drama queen. Yes, you grumpy little brat. We are singing this gay-ass song and you are not going to like it. This is not your speed. This is not your aesthetic. It's not your brand. And you will watch it because you are a child and you are told to go every which way. You have no control of your life. You will listen to this stupid song. I love this song. What am I talking about?
I don't agree with that kid at all. It's nice, it's fine if we have a difference of opinion. This is my aesthetic. This is very much on brand for me. One short day, fucking screaming about the Emerald City. Fuck you. <laughs> that is my jam, Space Jam 2021. All right, let's move on. I am a sentimental man who always longed to be a father. That's why I do the best I can to treat each citizen of us as son or daughter. So, Elphaba, I'd like to raise you high Cause I think everyone deserves the chance to fly And helping you with your ascent allows me to feel so Quiz, dum-dums, I hope you have your pencil and paper ready. What is the most skippable track on the Wicked cast album? Is it A, Dear Old Shiz, B, Something Bad, C, A Sentimental Man, D, Wonderful, or E, March of the Witch Hunters? Tick-tock, tick-tock, take your notes, do your math. Ah, too late, time's up. The answer is E, March of the Witch Hunters. The wonderful comes in at a close second. A sentimental man is relying way too hard on my affection for Joel Grey. I mean, like, I'm here, don't get me wrong, I'm sticking around, but I'm only here for Joel, you understand? You better have a really compelling actor like Joel or Ben Vereen in this part, or else mama is gonna go to sleep. Mama needs a mama nap is what she needs, is what she needs. <laughs> Glinda, come with me. Think of what we could do together. Unlimited. Together we're unlimited. Together we'll be the greatest team there's ever been. Glinda, dreams the way we planned them. If we were no fight we You too. I hope it brings you bliss. I really hope you get it and you don't live to regret it. I hope you're happy in the end. I hope you're happy, my friend. 
best part of Defying Gravity, beyond that stratospheric fireworks show of an ending, my god in heaven, is how Glinda and Alphaba unite and think and sing as one. The flame burns bright and hot, and even though Glinda ultimately steps back from the precipice, her support allows Alphaba to take off. I have no idea if what you're doing is safe or sane, but if this is what you need to do, then do it! You defy that fucking gravity, is what Glinda says. But Jonathan Glinda winds up betraying Alphaba about a dozen times in Act 2. Yeah, well, nobody's perfect. These women are in college. Everyone's a prick in college. We're all pricks in college, am I right? That's why I couldn't be happier. No, I couldn't be happier. Though it is, I admit, the tiniest bit, unlike I am anticipated. But I couldn't be Not simply, cause getting your dreams, it's strange, but it seems a little, well, complicated. There's a kind of a sort of cost. There's a couple of things get lost. There are bridges you cross you would make a fine companion for So Happy from Into the Woods. Both songs consider the lingering doubts one may feel or experience upon obtaining everything you could ever want. Are you truly happy through and through? Who did you leave behind on the path to success? Who did you step on? To quote Mr. Sondheim, wishes may bring problems such that you regret them. Better that, though, than to never get them. Quote, Chenoweth is stupendous throughout, thank goodness. She fluctuates between full-throated bravado and shrunken weariness without losing the thread even once, always knowing just how to manipulate the color of her vocals and keep 
keep us in the palm of her hand. For crying out loud, she even manages to spin gold out of this lyrical straw. There are bridges you cross you didn't know you crossed until you've crossed. I can't sell that. She can. That is some bad writing on the part of Mr. Schwartz. But Chenoweth makes it sound like a true blue pearl of wisdom. There are people you stepped on you didn't know you stepped on until you've stepped on them. P.S. I have been mishearing the following lyrics for years. Quote, like some terrible green blizzard throughout the land she flies. Quote, I always thought this woman was screeching about a terrible green lizard, as in lizard with an L at the beginning of it. Lizards do not fly, Jonathan. Blizzards fly. Sort of. Maybe I'm brainless. Maybe I'm wise. But you've got me seeing through different eyes. Somehow I've fallen under your spell. And somehow. say that as long as your mine would be appropriate background music for a backseat fuck around and find out session, but the line, I'll wake up my body, is a real mood killer. You will wake up your body for me? No thanks. I'm good. What are you, a robot? When you need winding up, wake up your body. Stop talking about the waking up of your body. No, thank you. Let him feel no pain Let his 
bones never break And however they try to destroy him Let him never die Let him never die What is this chanting? I don't even know what I'm reading I don't even know what trick I ought to try Fiero, where are you? Already dead or bleeding One more disaster I can add to my generous for me, Jonathan Pernasek, the musical man, to audition for the role of Alphaba. I will be singing a selection from No Good Deed, a song I very much enjoy. The lyrics are not that good, but I do enjoy the song in and of itself. I take the show, witches, warts, and all is what I do. Anyway, hello, Jonathan Pernasek. I am represented by no one, and I will be performing a bit of No Good Deed for you today. What good is this chanting? I don't even know what I'm reading. I don't even know what spell I ought to try. Fiero, where are you? Already dead or bleeding? One more disaster I can add to my generous supply. I can't do that last note. Ha ha ha. That's the end of my audition. Hello. Bye-bye. And just to clear the air, I ask forgiveness for the things I've done you. We know there's blame to share, and none of it seems to matter anymore. Like a comet pulls the carpet as it passes a wind off the sea. of observations regarding the lyrics of For Good. Quote, I ask forgiveness for the things I've done you blame me for. Quote, that is not really a proper apology, is it? That has a definite air of, I'm sorry if you were offended by my actions. 
not a real apology, and take another look at these lyrics, quote, Who can say if I've been changed for the better, but because I knew you, I have been changed for good, quote. It struck me this morning how being changed for good simply means you have been changed permanently. There is no good or bad qualifier there. As Alphaba and Glinda say, they have no idea if this permanent change is a good or bad thing. It is simply a mark that cannot be rubbed away or ignored. To be honest, I'm glad Alphaba and Glinda are parting ways at the end of the show. This seems like one of those college friendships where the extreme highs and lows do not justify a lifelong connection. They left each other on fairly decent terms, which is more than can be said of most friendships that come to an end. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. We all have that friendship that came to an end, and it was messy. I have a few. Anyway, that's all I have to say regarding the score of Wicked. It is now time to hear from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. It's me, hello, yes, bow in deference to me, Queen Elizabeth II from Diana the Musical. Hello, now on Broadway, I'm not sure. Get back to me on that. Hello, Butler, bring me that information forthwith. Of course, I am here to extol the virtues of 5678 Coffee, which I am slurping up like a little piglet as we speak. Oh, yes, but I am also here to get political. That's right, the Queen, she pays attention, yes. She pays attention to the current events of the day, and I am here to reiterate a point I recently made in the press. That is, are you listening? Our elected leaders should be doing more. They should be doing more to combat the effects of climate change, yes? Talk, talk, talk will do nothing. Action is what we need. I am here to get this conversation activated. Yes, that is what I will say. Oh, I am getting a little bit bleary. You'll have to excuse me. I'm sitting atop a gigantic, enormous hillock of glittering gold coins, and there's very little oxygen up here. But do you know what I see from atop my hillock of glittering gold coins? An earth in a state of devastation, and no amount of five, six, seven, eight coffee is going to bring me out of my despair. Oh, the trees, the waters, how they flood our coasts. One of these days, my hillock of glittering gold coins will be consumed, consumed by the effects of climate change. And so I say to you, elected officials, you must act. We must all act. Yes. Oh, now, 5678 Coffee, you can count on it. Yes, you can count on it to deliver the caffeine boost that you need to get you through the day. But... Who is helping planet Earth to get through her day? Mother Nature, who can we count on to help her? Not our elected officials, at least in their current state, their state of inactivity. You get my point! I have to go! Butler, help me down from this hillock of glittering gold coins before I faint! My first day is woman, I'm already having horn flashes! Fine 
final thoughts regarding Wicked. I am a devoted fan of Wicked, which is warts and all. Did I already make that joke? I'm making it a second time. Wicked deserves to stand right alongside The Wizard of Oz and The Wiz as a seminal musical adaptation of the L. Frank Baum novels. I say that understanding that a lot of the lyrics are not that great and that Nessa is a terrible bit of representation for the physically disabled. But I said what I said. It's a seminal musical adaptation. You know what is not a seminal musical adaptation? adaptation of the L. Frank Baum novels, Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return, bad film. Bad film, what a stinker. Now in 2004, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was former subject Avenue Q, and the additional nominees that season were The Boy from Oz and former subject Caroline or Change. At this point, the only nominee from this season that we have not covered via the podcast is The Boy from Oz. We only have one more show from this season. Do I believe Avenue Q deserves to keep its Tony Award for Best Musical? No, absolutely not. I believe during our Carolina Change episode, I gave that medallion to Caroline, and I will not be taking it away from her today. As much as I enjoy Wicked, I'm ultimately going to rank Wicked higher than Carolina Change, if you can believe it. That might cause you to gasp, but I am not taking away that Best Musical medallion away from Caroline. No, I would never do it, not in a million years. Now, as I said, we need to rank Wicked against all of the other musicals we have talked about here on the podcast. If you want to find that complete breakdown of how we rank these shows, all you need to do is find our link tree, which is on our Twitter profile. Twitter.com slash MusicalManPod. Go into that link tree. You will find a link to our spreadsheet. The second tab provides all the information you need regarding our ranking. Now, where does Wicked fall? Wicked will be at number six. Number six! Yes, very, very high. Top ten. Wicked will sit between company at number five and Into the Woods at number seven. And that's all you need to know. I have not made any changes since the last time we met. <laughs> the last time we got together, I should say. Now, show-related ephemera. I would like to begin by saying I searched high and low for a high-quality version of Megan Hilty's appearance as Glinda on Deal or No Deal. This actually happened. But I could not find a high-quality version of that appearance. That was obviously a No Deal scenario. Oh, it's unfortunate. The show credits Hilty on screen as Glinda from the musical Wicked, which is insane. Just say her name. Give the proper credit, Howie Mandel, for fuck's sake. Oh, look, it's Glinda. We're adults. Stop it. And I'm sorry, I do have to go into this a little bit because if I can't give you the audio as it stands on its own, I will have to do a bit of a recap. Hilty says something so funny. She says, I'm here to offer you the ultimate wicked package because I hear you're the ultimate wicked fan. That's not a verbatim transcription on my part, but it is essentially what she says. And this woman, the contestant on the show, she says, I love wicked. I love wicked! She goes... She is a big fucking bunch of bananas. She goes banana bread. The whole thing feels like a scene ripped from Smash. Okay, it is time for real show-related ephemera, ephemera that I was able to actually find and provide to you. We will start with a few more tracks from the fifth anniversary edition of the cast album. Let's hear For Good, as performed by Leanne Rimes and Delta Goodrum.
had been filmed in the early 2000s, this cover would have undoubtedly played over the end credits. Hell, it still should as far as I'm concerned because it slaps, it fucks, it bangs. And now from the 5th anniversary edition, here is Defying Gravity, the Tracy Young Flying Monkey Radio Mix. and imagine a thousand gay white men and straight white women just rolling to this while up in the club. Oh, I am on my first banana daiquiri and I am losing my mind. What do we have next? Well, we have Defying Gravity as performed on Adina Menzel's 2008 studio album, I Stand. Actually, this was only made available as a single and a bonus track in certain countries, not in America. So if you have haven't heard this version, it's probably because it's not on the American edition of I Stand. Anyway, let's hear it. Too late to go 
isn't great, right? It's not great. We're auto-tuning Menzel into oblivion. I have no idea why. And that arrangement reeks of early American Idol. Bad, it's bad. If you're in the market for a modern take on Defying Gravity, look no further than Menzel's performance for the NBC Halloween special. We have so much more to get through when it comes to this ephemera segment. Here is Sarah Smallwood Parsons delivering, performing, I should say, that song in every musical that no one likes. I love this. Let's hear it. This is the song in every show that no one likes because it's boring. A song like Sentimental Man or Mr. Cellophane or Look, that woman's almost Parsons is out for blood, and I support her without question. This is so funny. Now, I want to play two clips we're going to hear from an episode of Passions. This is Passions, episode 1.2040. It aired on June 29th, 2007. This is a soap opera, a soap opera which did a special Wicked parody episode. The two clips that we're going to hear back-to-back are Perfectly Frightful, which is a parody of what is this? feeling, and then we're going to hear Spellbinding, which is a riff on Defying Gravity. So, Patty, if we could just package those clips back-to-back, if you could, if you please. Thank you. Is this a trick? Some kind of test? You must admit this is hard to digest. You're not exactly what I thought you'd be. I imagine someone far more similar to me. You're so perky. Is this a cosmic jest? You're so quirky. Look at how you're dressed. You're not the kind of person I'd expect. There's so much of you I must correct. Me? I know just how to start you now. Must be kidding. And I think I'll start here. Stop! Those all I'm not here at your bidding. We're clearly just the opposite of souls. With you around, I'm sure life won't be done. Defects Oh, what a sightful 
I wish the audio was cleaner? Yes. These were the best examples I could find, believe it or not. As far as context is concerned, I'm guessing the character of Tabitha, aka the Alphaba surrogate, has been trapped in a musical world by one of her adversaries. Perhaps she's under some sort of magical spell coma. And everyone within this musical illusion is doing their best to ensure Tabitha never escapes. No, we cannot allow her to escape. If anyone can clarify further as to this plot from the soap opera Passions, please reach out to me. Passions also produced a parody of Chicago's Cell Block Tango and a Bollywood episode, so it would appear musicals were a semi-regular occurrence. Believe it or not, I have three more pieces of ephemera for you, and they all fall under a category I like to refer to as the Fabulous Ephemera of Oz. These are all pieces from other Oz projects. First, I would like to hear from the 1972 animated film Journey Back to Oz. This is Ethel Merman singing If You're Gonna Be a Witch, Be a Witch. And now I'll dispose of you, Mr. Ex-King of Oz. That brainy head of yours will make an elegant king-size pincushion for the royal sewing room. If you're gonna be a witch, be a witch, not a wishy-washy witch. Witch, be that witch which all the witches follow. Be a vulture bird and not a swallow. Have a cackle that is nice and hollow. If you're gonna be a witch, be a witch. Up next, we have Living in the Land of Oz, as performed by Ross Wilson. This is from the 1977 live-action Australian musical film, 20th Century Oz. I believe the Australian title was actually Oz, a rock and roll odyssey? A rock and roll road trip, I believe. That's actually what it was. Okay, this is actually a very political song. I love the fact that it is really fucking balls to the wall, in your face. Fuck you, political. Let's hear a bit of it. that movie. I have seen any number of Oz adaptations, but I've never seen 20th Century Oz. I have to get on top of that. And finally, here is Victoria Wood's unused song, Return to Oz, which was meant to be used in the film Return to Oz, which came out in 1985. I love Return to Oz, and this song is so cheesy. It is so weird. It would have been so out of place in the film, but I still wish it would have played over the end credits, because it would have been a whiplash moment. Let's hear that.
good. It's really stupid and bad, but it's also really, really good. Dorothy. <laughs> I love that background. <laughs> I just I just love when the background singers come in with those Dorothys. Dorothy. <laughs> to determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Danielle Steele's Leafy Pastures, a love story with songs. Everyone ready? Then away we go. <laughs> All right, let's take a survey of our surroundings. It would appear that we are in the year 1964. This was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It did not win, and it ran on Broadway for 302 performances. Do you know what this song is? Do you know what this musical is, I should ask? Aha, it's a Bach and Harnock musical, and it is She Loves Me. That episode is going to drop on November 3rd, Wednesday, November 3rd. We have to take a week off from the main feed so we can focus Focus on the latest episode of M3, The Movie Musical Man. If you're not familiar with that series, it is part of our Patreon feed. Yes, that's right. Let's talk about that. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. You can donate $1, $3, or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all main feed episodes. While everyone else is waiting for Wednesday to come around, you'll be getting all of the main feed episodes first thing fresh Monday morning. You also get a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you for donating at least $1 a month. Aaron, Aaron is our latest brand new $1 a month donor. Thank you so much, Aaron. Also, thank you, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Mark, S, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get, as a $1 a month patron, 16 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, Emma, the stage musical, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, original cast album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Punch, Jingle Jingle, a Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, the trailer for Steven Spielberg's take on West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's back, and finally, Diana. But I'm not done. We're not done. As a $1 a month patron, you also get access to season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy. That is a special series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical songs that make me feel more like myself. And finally, as a $1 a month donor, you get access to all of the episodes that make up M3, The Movie Musical Man. This is a series for which we watch trios of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Our next episode drops next Wednesday, it's true. And that theme, the theme for this month, is the Mice and Pumpkin Trilogy. These are adaptations of the Cinderella fairy tale. We're going to be watching and 
talking about The Slipper and the Rose, the story of Cinderella, Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella from 1997, starring Brandy and Whitney Houston, hello, and then finally, we'll be talking about the Amazon original film, Cinderella. Okay, so if you donate $3 a month, what do you get then? You get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get all 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special one-off episode all about season one of Julie and the Phantoms. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you will get to stop the musical carousel and determine what musical I discuss on the podcast, so long as it was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. You also get season one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get access to my Broadway and Chicago review series and Shout About It volumes one and two. Those are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes. Finally, if you donate $10 a month via Patreon, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season one, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, which is a series dedicated to musicals that were not, not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And finally, you get access to Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. We have already produced six episodes for this series, episodes dedicated to Emojiland, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and A Strange Loop. We have six more episodes on the way. Oh, you gotta look out for them. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, take a moment to write a five-star review. We have 51 five-star reviews. We want 60. Once we get to that 60 five-star review goal, I will release an episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. You might be streaming the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. All options are legitimate. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty. Oh, I love you, Patty. Benny. Oh, we hope to see you back here soon. We know that we're going to see you back here soon. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, wait a minute. You know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Venusian, and good night.